If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Matthew chapter 5. As you turn there, I wonder what, what it is that drives you as a person. What are you passionate about? What are the things in, in your life that, that make you pound the table? What are the things in your life that put you on the edge of your seat? What are the things in your life that make you jump out of your seat because you're so excited about what is happening? What is it that you crave? What are the things that you desire? As we continue in our series on the Beatitudes, we come to verse 6 where, where Jesus makes this statement. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Jesus' teaching we on what it looks like to follow him, which is what this, this passage is really about, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this whole, this whole discourse that we've come to understand as the Sermon on the Mount, and then these first opening passages that we know as the Beatitudes, are really about how we live as Christ followers in this kingdom of God. What does it look like for you and for me and for the people that Jesus was addressing? What does it look like to live our normal, everyday life as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a person of Christian faith? Not, not what does it look like on a Sunday here in a building all dressed nice and singing songs and praying together. Not what does that look like, but what does it look like every day? Our normal, plain, ordinary, everyday life. What does it look like to be a Christ follower then? And Jesus says, if you want to be in the kingdom, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, those who call themselves Christ followers, he says, he says, you are blessed when you're poor in spirit. You are blessed when you mourn. You are blessed when you are meek. And then he comes to this and he says, you are blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're blessed. And God says, and Jesus is trying to say to them, you are, your blessing is not based on your feeling. This idea of, of being blessed as a follower of Christ has absolutely nothing to do with how you feel in the moment. So it's not about happiness and, it, and it's not about even us stopping at a moment and saying, you know what, yeah, I feel blessed. That's not the idea that Jesus is, is pulling across here. And it's also not the idea of perspective. It's not, you know what, as I look around and see my life compared to other people or compared to what's going on in the world, you're right, I really am blessed. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It has nothing to do, when Jesus says, blessed are you, it has nothing to do with how you feel, and it has nothing to do with your perspective. It has everything to do with how God sees you as you live your life. I am blessed by God. God looks at me and says, you are blessed, even though you don't feel it, even though you may not 
Be happy in a moment, even though in your own perspective, you may not feel like you are blessed compared to other people. If you live this way, if you follow this pattern of living, you are, in my eyes, looking at you blessed. Because those who are poor in spirit inherit the kingdom. Those who mourn, those who mourn and are broken over their sin, Those are people who are comforted. Those who are meek, who have a clear understanding of of, of their position before God and know how to live a life of humility and gentleness towards other people. They will inherit the earth. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. You may not feel it may not look like in your situation and in surroundings that, that you are filled as a person, but God says, in my eyes, from my perspective, if you live a life of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you are filled. And this idea of righteousness that Jesus talks about here in Matthew is more than just an idea of social justice. It's more than an idea of of the oppressed being released from their oppression. It's more than the idea of the poor coming out of their poverty. It's more of the it's more than the idea of the downtrodden being lifted up. It's not just about social justice. And so when when Jesus says you are blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not just the picture of social justice. It's not just the picture of being justified before God either. The Scriptures carry this idea of of righteousness both as a social justice and also as, as my standing before God, being justified before Him as righteousness. And Jesus is saying here, it's not just about social reform and social justice because the people the audience that he was speaking to remember they would have been looking for that they would have been looking for social reform the disciples that gathered in to listen to Jesus teaching the crowd that had gathered in around him who had followed him from town to town and village to village because he was teaching some remarkable things because he was performing some remarkable acts these people this crowd they would have been looking for social justice They would have been looking for someone to right the wrong in their communities and in their lives. They would have also been people who were looking for the Messiah. Who who were looking for the one who would come and restore this broken relationship between God and man. They would be looking for the one that would bring together and justify in God's eyes a broken relationship. And so when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they would have been looking for these kind of, um, not extremes, but these kind of positions. But Jesus speaks very clearly, and in the context of the entire uh, Sermon on the Mount, it is clear that Jesus is not talking about righteousness of social justice or justification before God and healing a broken relationship between God. Jesus is talking about a righteousness that comes from within. 
Jesus is speaking about immoral righteousness. He's looking at character. He's looking at conduct. Stott, John R.W. Stott speaks of this as an inner righteousness of heart, of mind, and watch this, of motive. Jesus is talking about a righteousness of conduct and character that begins in the heart, that begins in the mind, that starts with your motives. And I would imagine that for some in the crowd that day, those who were just curious, those who were just kind of filling in the empty seats to hear what this Jesus would have to say. I saw him do a few things. Now I know he's in town. I bought the ticket to the show. So I'm going to go sit in the back and just check it out. The crowd who's curious, I'm sure for some of them, as it is perhaps for some of us today, who are just curious about who Jesus is, I'm sure that when Jesus got to that point, they put on the brakes. I'm sure some of them said, that's far enough. That's where I stop. Jesus continues to dig deeper in the hearts of people. He starts by, by talking about our need of understanding our spirit. He moves to being sorrowful for our sins. He moves then to being a person who is under control and has a right perspective before God. And now, now, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He moves into the conduct and the motives of my life. Jesus has just gone from being a good teacher and a dynamic leader to someone who's meddling in my affairs. Jesus has just moved into my heart. I mean, this whole Jesus thing was interesting and intriguing. You know, the whole idea of of there being social justice in the world. Hey, I love that Jesus. I love the Jesus that wants to have social justice, social reform, that the poor are cared for, the downtrodden are, are comforted, that there's justice in our court system. I like that Jesus. And the Jesus that wants to offer a right, a restored relationship from this divorce, this spiritual divorce that happened between God and man, the Jesus that wants to come and bridge that gap, hanging on a cross, paying for our sins so that we could be reconciled and justified before Him. I'm all into that Jesus. But the Jesus that wants to look at my heart, the Jesus that looks into our mind and asks questions about our motives and the Jesus that looks at our conduct and our character? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that one. I like the Jesus that's out there. You know, he's working over there. He's doing those things over here. There's some pretty cool teachings. He's doing It's pretty awesome to see some miracles. I like that Jesus. The Jesus that starts asking me questions about character and heart and motives. I could imagine that for some in the crowd that day, they put up the brakes. That's it. I'm not giving you that part of my life. You don't, I'm not ready to give you my motives. I'm not ready to give you my 
conduct. I'm not ready to give you my character. I'm not ready to give you my heart. I'm all in for this other stuff. And I'm not sure about digging that deep. And then there were the disciples. You know, the 12 guys that, that had given up everything. Everything to follow Him. For three years, this three year journey in the wilderness and the towns to hear Him teach and to hear Him speak. I mean, Jesus was actually in this context speaking to them and just letting the crowd listen in. I wonder what those guys thought. The ones who had said, I will follow you. I don't have all the pieces put together. I'm still assembling the puzzle. I'm not really sure how all of this lines up, but I know enough that you are the one that we're supposed to be looking for. And I understand. They even called him rabbi. They knew he was a great teacher. They knew we have to follow him. There's something different. There's something compelling. He fills our need. He he touches our inner self and our soul. We need to follow him. Even though I don't have it all figured out, I know. And I'm going to commit myself to following him. I wonder what those guys thought. As soon as he turned it around and said, it's about your heart and your conduct. He said, blessed are you by God and in God's eyes when you open up your heart and your motives and your conduct and you give it to Him, and you crave His ways. I wonder what they thought when they realized that following Jesus just moved from something that looked like an event. You know, I'm going to keep the religious rules. I'm going to keep the religious practices. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to temple. I'm going to go to the the house, the small group meeting. I'm going to have my name checked off on the list. I was there. I attended. I was there. You know, the offering plate comes by. I'm going to drop a 20 in the plate. I wonder what they thought when, when all of a sudden they realized that being part of the kingdom was more than an event. But it was about their whole life. In one comment, in one sentence, Jesus turns the kingdom upside down as he shows that the kingdom, Christianity following him, is about being far before it is ever about doing. What matters most is who you are in your heart, your motives, your conduct, your character. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. The righteousness that's inside. When you hunger and thirst to be like Him in your heart, in your character, in your conduct, in your motives. That's when you are blessed. That's when you are filled. And Jesus says, it's always been about being before doing. It's always been about who you are before it was ever about what you do. John R.W. Stott writes, Christians are not like pagans who are engrossed in the pursuit of possessions. What they, the Christians, have set themselves to seek first is God's kingdom and His righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
You see, in God's economy, it has always been about who you are, not what you do. What you do, for many of us, we have tried to change who we are by what we do. We try to dress up better. We try to attend church more often. We try to straighten up and listen. And we try to attend as many things as we can so that we can be someone. So that we can be a good Christian. So that we can be a good follower. And God says, it's never been about doing first. It's always, always been about who you are. Because who you are changes what you do. That's the true change. Why is there so much hypocrisy in the world? Because it's filled with people who are doing things to change who they are. But it never works. You can't do enough to change who you are. It's what the story of the table and communion and the cross is all about. You can't do it. It was done for you. You are to come just as you are. Receive His grace and change who you are on the inside first. And when you change who you are, your character your motives, and your heart, that will then change what you do. It's not perfect. It's not an instantaneous thing. But the process, the progression, is always who you are changes what you do. It's always been about being before doing. Being before doing. Being before doing. And Jesus says, you need to hunger and thirst to be holy. To be righteous. Not in a, in a sense of piety, like I am better than you and I am better than somebody else. Absolutely not. That goes against the whole blessed, blessed are the meek. Notice the progression. I understand the poverty of my spirit. I understand the, 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 the weight of sin. I understand my station before God. And now I understand what it means to be righteous and seeking after Him. I can't be pious and, and haughty in the eyes of other people if I've lived my life through this whole progression because I understand who I am. I need to be in my heart before I do anything. And I believe that this is a game changer for some of us. These are hallmark moments when, when we turn to God and we, we, we realize that in my pursuit of life, if my pursuit of life comes before my pursuit of God, life will be meaningless. And life will be empty. And I think that's the picture of what's happening in our lives when life and faith just are out of sync. When things aren't clicking, when it, it feels like a, a car that's missing a 
I don't know what that's called when it's missing something in a car. I'm not a car guy. It's missing something. It just doesn't sound right. And many of our lives are like that. We're out there and we're living. Hey, I, I, I like Jesus. I'm in on it. I'm a Christian. I said yes. But my life is just not in sync. I'm missing something. I'm not firing on all cylinders. It's not synced up. It's not hooked up. And the problem is we are trying to do instead of be. And Jesus says, once you start pursuing God and righteousness, then it all kind of syncs together. It all kind of links up. And we learn this in our journey. And we don't always remember it. And sometimes we step out of sync with God. We're not perfect. But God's gracious. When we understand that being like God, in our heart and in our motives, is far more important before anything we do, then life and faith start clicking together. It begs the question, doesn't it then? What is it that I truly desire out of my relationship with God? As I think about this being before doing, what is it that I'm truly seeking? What's my priority? When I come to God with my prayer list and I list all my prayers my needs and that that I'm praying for? Am I praying for money? Am I praying for a job? Am I praying for a title? Am I praying for a position before I'm praying about being holy and righteous? Am I praying about what's happening in my home? Am I praying about my health? Am I praying about more about what is going on in my life and around my life? Am I praying more about that than I am about being like Him? What is it that we seek? As I was studying this week, it was almost a hard revelation to to really sit and think about that. What What would happen if we prayed to be more like Him first? And then out of that prayer, we would trust Him for our marriages for our jobs, for our relationships, for our friendships, for our families? What if first our priority was, God, I want to be right with you. I want to be like you. And out of that flows career, position, title, authority. What would happen if we were those people? God knows what we need, doesn't He? In fact, the the verse that we read, Pastor Dave read the last verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, is set still in this context of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus hasn't moved. The crowd is still there, and He gets to chapter 6, 33, and He says, God knows what you need. But seek first. What? His righteousness and His kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of his God, of God and His righteousness. Seek first Him. It's always been about being 
before doing. Jesus said, blessed are the ones in God's eyes who hunger and thirst. These are pretty graphic words for this context. Full words. A sense of deep longing and foundational things in our lives that that sustain us. Bread and water, food and drink. They sustain our lives. They're basic, they're foundational, but, but they sustain us. Hunger and thirst uncover our deepest need and the most basic necessity. We need to be strengthened and we need to be nourished and refreshed and we need our physical bodies to be refreshed and nourished that way. And so the metaphor is clear. If we need our physical body to be nourished and refreshed, our spiritual body needs to be nourished and refreshed. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. The idea of spiritual hunger is woven throughout the Scriptures. We saw it in the psalm that we read, Psalm 107, where God says, I will fill their hunger and thirst. And uh, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was just starting His public ministry, He was taken out to be tempted by the the devil in in the wilderness. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, that the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Feed your body. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then again, in one of the most talked about encounters Jesus ever had with a woman at a well, he uses the idea of of thirst. The woman comes to to get water for her needs, and, and Jesus says, Jesus, water for her physical need to take back to her home. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, can you give me a drink? And they get into this dialogue about thirst. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, this water, the water from the pitcher, the water from the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Imagine having the hunger and the thirst of our spirit and the deepest longings of our soul not only met and satisfied, but we feel full. The deepest longings I have in my spirit and my soul. I am not only satisfied as I seek after God, I am full. And that word is a rich word. It actually means stuffed. You are stuffed. You are pushed back from the table at three o'clock in the afternoon on Thanksgiving Day. Unbuckle your belt, stuffed. That's the idea. Those of you that are looking to be filled, God says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and trust me, you'll be stuffed. Jesus looks at us just as he looked at his disciples in the crowd that had gathered in around, and he says, blessed are you, and you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't know what kind of bread you've been eating. 
I'm sure many of us here today can testify that we have tried to fill our lives with all kinds of bread and drink that this world has to offer. Only to be found thirsty and sick. And Jesus said, I offer you this. I offer you myself. If you would hunger and thirst for me, to be like me, to take on characteristics and qualities and nature and motive, you'll be filled. Maybe today you need to stop what you've been pursuing and you need to pursue God first. I'm not saying we don't ever pray for those other things. I'm not saying that we don't ever pray for jobs and financial stability and homes and, and, and marriages to be healed and children. We need to pray for those things. But we have to ask ourselves the question, am I more concerned about the stuff of life than I am about who I am in Christ? Do I want the stuff before the who? God's asking us to hunger for the who, to be like Him. Maybe today you need to come to God or come back to Him and commit to Him a life that will hunger and thirst for Him. If we would only realize the gift of God, the living water available for us, welling up within to eternal life that is offered by Christ and through faith in Him. We would be stuffed. Over the past few weeks, we've been promoting practical application to our messages. We asked for shoes. You're safe today. We asked for to remember our facilities team and honor them for their, their, the meekness that they present. We've wailed about our sin and we've posted that on a wall. Today, we come to the table as a point of application. We're going to do communion a little differently today. We're going to ask you in a, in a point of application to fill your hunger and your thirst, we're going to ask you to come forward today. Across the front, our elders and communion stewards will be here holding a basket of bread and holding the cup of juice. And we're going to ask you to come. You will take the bread and you will take dip it in the juice and you will eat. We're going to ask you to physically Move and come and to take bread and drink in a symbolic act of hungering and thirsting. But not for what this world offers, but for what God offers. We invite you in a few moments to come forward and be filled to hunger and thirst for Him. Here's how we're going to...